sugar in and of itself is not addicting. It's only seen to to have addictive-like qualities in the context of restriction. Welcome to Shoulders Down, a podcast about intuitive eating and living. I'm your host, Leah Kern, and I'm an anti-diet dietitian and certified intuitive eating counselor. In this podcast, you will learn to harness your body's innate wisdom to govern not just how you eat, but also how you live. It is my mission to help you heal your relationship with food and body so you can live your most aligned and fulfilling life. Welcome, and I'm so glad that you're here. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Shoulders Down. Today, we are doing a solo episode, and I am so excited to dive in. It's one of my favorite topics. We're talking about the concept of sugar addiction and more broadly, food addiction in general. And we're going to get into the question, what if I feel like I'm addicted to sugar? Or what if I feel like I'm addicted to food? Is it even possible to be addicted to food? This is one of my favorite topics to talk about because it's really one of the most widespread myths, I guess, in in diet culture or or more like one of the most commonly misunderstood things um, about food. I hear people all the time saying things like, well, it could just food's addictive and they just try to chalk it up to the food being addictive. And we're going to get into today why it's not the case that food is addictive. Um, Anything I have to tell you before we dive in? I don't think so. Yeah, let's go for it. Okay, so intuitive eating can't work because food is addictive. This is something I hear all the time from people when they're giving reasons why they don't think intuitive eating could work. A lot of the time, the language sounds something like, oh, you know, in our ultra processed, quote unquote, food system, something something like that, you know, intuitive eating would never work because we can't just eat intuitively because the food is engineered to be addicting. This is something I hear a lot. I'm sure it's something you've heard before. And we're going to get into today why this isn't true and what's actually going on when you feel like you are addicted to food. First of all, when you feel like you're addicted to food, this is completely valid. I'm not here to invalidate that food can really feel addictive. Sugar can really feel addictive. However, on a chemical level, the food is not addictive. And one one way to, to kind of just debunk this in short is that we cannot be addicted to something that we need to live. I'll say that again because it's really important. We cannot be addicted to something that we need to live. We can be addicted to drugs and alcohol. We don't need those to live. We do need food to live. We even need sugar to live. Yes, glucose is the main component of in our energy metabolism. And so we cannot be addicted to food. We cannot be addicted to sugar because it's something that we need to live. With that being said, if it feels like you are addicted to food or if it feels like you're addicted to sugar or any other specific kind of food, there are very specific reasons why you could be feeling that way. And we're going to start to dive into those. So first, let's talk about why it isn't true that food is addictive. 
as I said, you cannot be addicted to something you need to live. But more specifically, some of the common arguments that people make when they're talking about food addiction is they might say something like, well, the same brain regions light up in animals when they eat sugar compared to when they have cocaine, for example. This is something I've seen. I've had clients send me screenshots from articles being like, oh my God, it, it, is it true? Or you know, one headline I saw once was like, Oreos as addictive as cocaine. And when you really dig into what's going on, that they're making these claims, one common argument that that is often being made is, well, the same brain regions light up when, say, an animal is given sugar compared to when they're given cocaine. And this is just a very like diluted and oversimplification of science. So I think people often read that and think, oh my God, because the same brain regions light up, that must mean that sugar is as addictive as cocaine. When in reality, the same brain region lighting up doesn't mean that sugar is as addictive as cocaine. All it means is that the sugar is bringing the animal pleasure. The brain regions that light up when you have food or sugar are the same regions that light up when you're having an addictive substance. These are the brain regions that light up when you're doing anything that brings you pleasure, such as listening to music, having sex, connecting with a loved one. Any of these things can cause that same brain region to light up, but it doesn't mean that you're automatically addicted just because that brain region is lighting up. So if you were listening to your favorite song and we were able to track your brain waves and we were able to say, oh, the same brain region lights up when you listen to this song compared to when you when given cocaine or something. Up, oh, he must be addicted or she or they must be addicted to this 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 song. That is laughable, right? Like that's not how it works. But what what is a big problem in the field of of like scientific communication is that the public often doesn't think so critically about the way scientific information is being delivered and is quick to just accept whatever the message is that the media is portraying, like food is as addictive as cocaine in this example. So that's the first piece of what's going on here. The next piece that is incredibly important is that the the research that has been done on mostly animals, right? Because we can't give humans an addictive substance that wouldn't be ethical. So we're looking at um, mostly like rat studies. When researchers do these experiments and they're trying to test if sugar is is addictive, the research design um, for a lot of the, the studies being cited looks something like this. There are two groups. One group is uh, of rats are given um, access to, to to sugar water freely, and the other group is given intermittent access to sugar water. So it's there, and then it's not. It's there, and then it's not. The group that's given intermittent access to sugar water, this group of rats is the one that shows the addictive-like behaviors around the sugar water. So you know, not naturally moderating themselves consuming much more than the other group who has the free access to sugar water at all times. And so these studies, or more like these articles, often pull this one piece from the studies saying rats are addicted to sugar water. But what they aren't often saying is the the rats that showed the addictive-like behavior were the ones that had intermittent access. So another way to put this is 
sugar in and of itself is not addicting. It's only seen to to have addictive like qualities in the context of restriction because that intermittent access to the sugar water is really mirroring what restriction looks like because you allow the sugar, then you don't. You allow the sugar, then you don't. It's there and then it's not. It's there and then it's not. So when we we don't know that we're going to have reliable access to a certain food or food groups, this can cause us to feel out of control around that food because we don't know if it's going to be taken away again in the future. And oftentimes, right, we only have kind of our our history to go off of. And if you have a history of allowing a food and then making it off limits, allowing a food and then making it off limits, then your brain and body is like, oh man, we better get as much of this in now as we can before it's taken away again and we don't have access. So um, I'm going to link to the study in the show notes because I'm very big on like, show me, show me the receipts, show me the study. There was a big meta-analysis done on this topic of whether or not sugar is addictive. And just to read you back the the results given from this meta-analysis, and by the way, meta-analyses are some of the, the strongest forms of scientific data because they look at many different studies that were done in one area and synthesize the findings from many different studies. So this, this makes for a bigger sample size and sort of a wider cast net. And it's, it's essentially a study of studies. So the results from this meta-analysis on sugar addiction, here's a direct quote. We find little evidence to support sugar addiction in humans and findings from the animal literature suggest that addiction-like behaviors such as binging occur only in the context of intermittent access to sugar. These behaviors likely arise from intermittent access to sweet tasting or highly palatable foods, not the neurochemical effect of sugar. So there you have it. And another way to think of this is if sugar in and of itself was addicting, then everyone who ate sugar would feel addicted to it. Whereas there are, if you reflect on on the people in your life, I'm sure you can think of some people who can just like have a half a cookie and leave the rest or who can just feel like in control around food and not feel totally obsessed when there are sweet things around. There are plenty of people who don't feel like they're addicted to sugar, who don't have this experience, yet they eat sugar. So this tells us that it's not the sugar in and of itself. It's the context of a person's history with their relationship with food. So how do we make this applicable to to you and to humans? We want to think about this in the context of um, you know history of dieting, history of restriction, history of disordered eating. Say you have a history of being on certain diets or quote unquote eating clean. And as part of these protocols, maybe you you don't allow yourself to um, have to have sugar or your, the amount of sugar that you're allowed to have is limited. But then say you go to a holiday party or a special event and there's sugar around and you feel like, oh my God, I need it all. I cannot stop. I can't even focus on the conversation. All I can do is focus on that sweet, muffin or cake or cookie or whatever that's staring at me. That might feel like, oh my God, I'm addicted. Like I I can't think straight. I can't focus. All I can focus on is that sweet thing. But 
what what we need to do is look at what is the context of your history of your relationship with food. Even if sugar has not been off limits for you for, for months or even years, our bodies are very smart and they store information and they store memories. So it takes a long time for your body to grow to trust you to be like, oh, okay, like she's not going to make sugar off limits again. We don't have to feel out of control. We don't have to gorge ourselves because we're going to have free access to this in the future whenever we want it. On top of that, even if you are allowing yourself uh, sugar, even if you're physically keeping sugar in the home or sweet things in the home and you feel like this is weird, why do I still feel addicted? Why do I still feel out of control? I'm letting myself have it. What can happen is, and I see this a lot with my clients, is even though they're physically allowing the food, sometimes there's some mental restriction. So sometimes it's not quite unconditional permission to eat the thing, even if it's actually in the home. So for example, I have some clients who um, have struggled with their relationship with ice cream in particular. And when we started kind of combing through what was going on, we realized that even though, I'm thinking of one client in particular, even though she was allowing herself ice cream and and keeping it in the home, she sort of had these really sneaky and unconscious rules about ice cream, about the size bowl that she was allowed to use and the time of day that she was allowed to have it and the amount of times a day she was allowed to have it. So there was all these little rules about, okay, it has to be a small bowl and you can only have it at night and you can only have it X amount of times per week and whatever. And suddenly, you know, it, when when really looking at it, it's like, oh my God, there's a lot of rules around ice cream. So this helped us understand more about why she was still feeling out of control around ice cream. Because even though she had physical access to it, it was kept in her, in her freezer. Mentally, there was a lot of rules and restriction around ice cream. So this is why she was still feeling addicted and out of control around the ice cream. When we freed up those mental restrictions and said, you know, what would it look like to have ice cream in the the middle of the day? What would it look like to have ice cream several days in a row? What would it look like to allow yourself to use any size bowl or even eat out of the carton? And once we did some of this work on freeing up some of these more subtle rules about how she's allowed to eat ice cream, she started to feel more and more peace, less and less out of control, and ultimately less and less addicted to ice cream. So if you are someone who feels addicted to to food, the take-home message here, this is a very short podcast episode, the take-home message here is that it is not anything about our current food system, the quote-unquote modern ultra-processed foods that is causing you to feel addictive. Is it true that some of those foods are ultra palatable and delicious? Yes. However, we know that these foods in and of themselves are not, they don't possess addictive qualities because if they did, then everyone who ate them would feel out of control around them. And that's not the case. What is the case is that your relationship with food and your history with your relationship with food can set you up to feel addicted around certain foods. That is the biggest take-home message here is that it is not anything in the food. It's not anything specific about sugar. It's the context of how you're relating to that food. Another take-home piece here that I didn't mention earlier is that 
your body feeling addicted to a food is actually coming from your body trying to protect you. If you have a history of not of not allowing certain foods like sugar or, you know, maybe you didn't allow car a lot of carbs or bread kind of products, and then when you eat those things, you feel out of control. This is your body saying, we need these things. We need variety. We need these different foods. And it wants to get your needs met. And so it's trying to get as much in it as possible because it worries maybe we won't have access to this food again or this food group again. So I want you to remember that your body's on your team. It's trying to help you. It has your best interest in mind, even if it feels like, oh my God, it's betraying me. How can it, how can my body, you know, feel so out of control around these foods? This is so frustrating. Those feelings are so valid. And we can reframe to, to really see how your body's on your team. It wants the best for you. Another take-home message here is that just because the same brain regions light up when you're having sugar or any food compared to when you're having an addictive substance, that doesn't mean that the food is equally as addictive as the substance or is addictive at all. This literally just means that it's something that brings you pleasure. The same thing, you know, as we said, the same brain regions light up when you're listening to music, having sex, connecting with a friend or a loved one, doing anything that brings you pleasure. So that is a huge piece to debunk. You can whip that out with with friends or <laughs> colleagues or whoever you're talking about with sugar addiction with and, and really blow their mind because it's it's such a example of people not fully understanding how to dissect scientific information. And then the last take-home message here is is coming from that meta-analysis showing that the sugar only was ever seen to be addictive in the context of the intermittent access, the group of rats that had access to sugar water and then it was taken away. They had access to the sugar water and then it was taken away. Whereas the group that had the free and consistent access to the sugar water did not show these addictive-like behaviors. So how you can translate that to your life is giving yourself free and unrestricted access to the foods that you feel addicted to. I know this might feel scary at first and it might feel like, oh my God, how can I truly take away the rules and allow myself to have these foods that I feel so terrified around? And that is so valid if you're seeking support, if you're seeking someone to walk with you on your healing journey as you go through these food habituations and as you work on integrating these previously bingy fear foods, then you can find the link to learn more about my services in in the show notes. I have a online course that goes through this in detail. And I also offer one-to-one coaching in my signature program, The Embodied Method. So both of those are options if you're feeling like you want more support because integrating these foods and healing your relationship with food feels too scary on your own. You are so, so, so not alone. So I hope this was helpful. I hope this can debunk some of the confusion around sugar addiction and food addiction in general. Remember, you cannot be addicted to something you need to live. The same brain regions lighting up doesn't automatically mean that it's addictive. And addiction in studies was only ever seen in response to restriction. With that... That's it for today's episode. It's such a short one. I don't think I've ever done an episode this short. I'm usually such a lengthy person. I will talk to you in two weeks for our next episode. And 
If you've been enjoying the show, if you've been getting value from the podcast, it would mean so, so, so much to me if you can take a moment, um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, and leave a review. This helps the podcast reach more people, and that's my ultimate goal with the work I'm doing as an intuitive eating anti-diet dietitian. I would love to spread the word and help more people break free from dieting and heal their relationships with food and body. So that would be amazing if you could take a moment to do that. I hope you have a good rest of your day and I'll talk to you soon. If you enjoyed this episode, if it inspired you, if you learned something, it would mean so much to me if you rated it and reviewed it. And if you feel called to, share it with someone who it might resonate with. You can find me on Instagram at leahkern.rd. You can also join my weekly newsletter by visiting leahkernrd.com. And I'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.